thing I forgot to mention in my super uh, packed full announcements was, as we announced last week, if you remember, we started a transportation fund. I just wanted to mention that briefly again. So the transportation fund, our goal is to eventually be able to purchase a church van. But along with that comes obviously having to pay for insurance and gas. And so that transportation fund is going to go for all three of those things. Um, as our youth group is growing already, we're seeing that transportation is kind of a major issue. We're having to uh, kind of piecemeal transportation together and hope that people have off or can take off and we'll have enough vehicles to transport everybody everywhere. So eventually our goal is to get a church van to kind of um, help that issue subside a little bit. And so if you look at cpf.me, uh, where and under our giving option, uh, where it usually says general giving, you can actually click the drop down there and you'll see transportation fund. And so if you feel like the Lord's calling you to give extra or you have extra to give, uh, you can give through the online portal there. You can also give in person, put it in, a, in, a, in an envelope and just put transportation fund on it so we know where it's going. And we'll definitely keep track of all those things. And so sorry, I didn't mention that during the announcement time, but I wanted to just briefly bring that up once again for you. Now, we continue in our series. Um, this is week four. We're looking at 1 John. It's a series that we've titled Certainty of Faith. And today we are looking at Antichrist. And I titled today's sermon, Anti-Antichrist. Now, Antichrist, this might surprise you, means anything against Christ. If you look up the definition of the Antichrist, it is a personal opponent of Christ expected to appear before the end of the world. And with that definition, we automatically, or at least I do, think of Satan, right? So if Jesus represents everything that is good, Satan represents everything that is evil. If Jesus is light, Satan is darkness, right? Satan opposes everything that is good and holy that comes from the Lord. And so we always picture Satan when we hear Antichrist. But the fact of the matter is, guys, that Antichrist are many. Antichrist are many. And they obviously come in the form of human beings. We'll see that throughout church history. You see that at times in scripture, but uh, they come in many forms. Basically anything that, anything in your life that opposes your good standing with Christ is an antichrist. And so in my mind, I, I, obviously we think of Satan, we think of false teachers, which we'll mention today, but I also think of uh, hobbies and things that we want and, and careers and anything that gets in that way of our relationship with Jesus is an antichrist. Now life has a way of exposing those things to us or those people to us that are not with us, right? Those things that are working actively against our relationship with Christ. And so it's important that as we stumble upon those things and those people in life, that we as Christians separate ourselves from those relationships and from those focuses that take our focus away from what our main focus should be, which is Jesus. You all failed. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. That's a joke. Uh, so uh, as it is taught in scripture, you will know them by the fruit they bear, right? You'll know them by the fruit they bear. So good things bear good fruit, bad things bear bad fruit. And it's the Christian's responsibility to shed those things that bear bad fruit. We're gonna be in 1 John chapter two. We're gonna start with verse 15 today, which says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the father is not in them. In this instance, the world is in an entity, any entity that is hostile to God. 
So when we hear the world, we're thinking of the enemy of God. And it's not just that it provides another option to God. It's not just that it provides alternative choices for you to make. It's that it's actively working against the will of God in your life. So we have God and we have the world and there is a barrier between them. They do not mix. And so the world is competing for our love. It's competing for our time and it's competing for our attention. And John makes it clear that anyone who loves the world does not have the love of the father in them. As you've heard it said elsewhere in scripture, we can't serve two masters right? We can't have all of our focus on Jesus and have all of our focus on something else. And as Christians, we know that the way that we live our lives and the, the, the choices that we make must filter through that relationship with Jesus. Everything we do includes Jesus as that mirror that we look at to say in that reflection, hey, is this reflecting Christ? Is what I'm doing good? Is it in alignment with God's will for my life? Since the time of Adam and Eve, our world has been in a fallen state. It exists in a fallen state. And we are to have compassion for the world. Okay, this is important. We are to have compassion for the world and those that are living in the world. But we are not to love the world or those that, that sounds bad. <laughs> uh, we are not to, to love the world. We are to love those who are living in the world, right? But we aren't to, to join them in the way that they are living for the world. And so we have to make sure that as, as Christians and as people, we are putting up, um, I don't know if barrier is the right term, but, but we have safeguards in place that keep us from falling too much into the way that the world would want us to live. Does that make sense? I hope so. The fact of the matter is that love for the world breeds corruption of the heart. Okay, love for the world breeds corruption of the heart. And the reason is because everything that the world has to offer is incompatible with loving God. And John goes on to explain that in 1 John verse, or chapter 2, verse 16. It says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. What John is explaining right there in that verse is that the world has a different value system, and it also has a different measuring tool that it uses for success. Lust, the word lust that is used in this passage comes from the Greek word epithumia. And it's important to know that, and I'll tell you why, because that word, what it really means deep down is cravings. Cravings, And as it's used all throughout the New Testament, when you see epithumia, it means sinful cravings, right? Lust is a church word. We kind of get numb to lust. Lust sounds dirty. Like I think it, <laughs> it, it, it does what it's supposed to do. It fulfills its purpose. But we hear lust and we're kind of numb to it because if you've grown up in church for any time at all, you've heard lust. And, and if you're outside of church for a lot of your life, the word lust isn't used a whole lot, right? But craving, we understand. Like I want that chocolate cake right? Like I have a craving for that. Every woman in here who's ever been pregnant is like, yeah, I get what a craving is, right? My mom, when she was pregnant with, I think my sister's story goes, she would eat an entire flat, an entire flat of strawberries in one week. So my dad would have to go to the farmer's market in Kansas city, he'd buy a flat of strawberries. And by the end of the week, it's gone, right? So like cravings, we all think about that. And, and, and it's, this may shock you guys, but I often crave food myself. Um, I know that that will completely surprise a lot of you, but if you understand a craving, 
a craving. And that craving can, obviously, food is the thing that we go to first, I think, but that craving can be for success. That craving can be for notoriety. That craving can be for attention. That craving can be for lots of things. But in this instance, when it's used, the craving is talking about something that does not match up with the will of God, something that does not match up with his purpose. And so craving, I think, paints a much fuller picture. And used in this instance, like I said, and throughout the New Testament, it's a sinful craving. And the first craving that the world supports that we have to battle is an illicit craving for the body. An illicit craving for the body. Now, where do we go automatically with this? I think we go to sexual sins, right? There's sexual sins where we crave for the body. And that's pretty self-explanatory. I don't really need to go into that. It also encompasses things like gluttony, where we are trying to, you know, find pleasure. Uh, gluttony specifically kind of talks about food, but really anything that we are just diving into and really craving after and searching out so that we can find pleasure. So when we think about these illicit cravings of the body, it's really any sin that brings pleasure to the mind or the body. It's an action whose sole purpose is to make you happy in an item or a thing, okay? And that in and of itself is not godly. And then the second craving is the craving of the eyes. And I struggle with the first in life. I've been open about that. I really struggle with the second one, right? The craving of the eyes. The craving of the eyes describes our innate desire to want what we see while disregarding wisdom in order to obtain it. So I, I'm talking about me now. I walk through this world. I see things. They're shiny and I want them, right? I want them. And my wife will tell you, I usually want like the expensive ones, right? Like I need a watch. I don't just want to go to Walmart and get like the 555 watch that's sitting on the thing that looks nice. I want the $400 Apple watch because it does cool stuff and I can make it make beepy noises. And there's a button on it. When I lose my phone, it makes my phone make a sound. It's magic. And I can find it. I love it. It's really, really cool. It's really cool. You know, and I want a bass boat. I see bass boat. I have friends that have boats and that's how they say you should do it. Have a friend who has a boat, then you don't have to pay for the boat or take care of the boat, but they have a boat and I want my own boat. And I don't want just any boat. I want a really shiny one. I want it to sparkle. I want it to be big. I want it to hold a lot of fishing poles and I want to be able to put fish in it and keep them alive until I eventually eat them. I want stuff, right? And I want the nice house, the three car garage and the Four stories. No one has a, does anybody have a four story house? Don't tell us. We'll hate you. I'm just kidding. Right. But like I see things and I want them. I want them. And so often a sin that I struggle with is that I chase after them and I will do whatever it takes to get that thing. And I'm really happy the minute I get it. And then it's like, wow, look at my cool watch. Okay. And I kind of forget about it until the next one comes out. And then I want that Apple gets you right. Cause every, they come out with a new series, like every year or two. And then you just want the next one. The next one's got to be cooler because this one was seven. The next one says eight. Eight is better than seven. It's bigger, right? And you're, they're like, we got them. And you're just thinking, this is brilliant marketing. They've really hooked me. But I, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. And what happens a lot of times is 
When I really see something that I want and I chase after it, I don't really include God in that decision. I don't use a lot of wisdom in that decision either. Like, do I have money to spend on this right now? Is it really a good choice for me and not just me, but my family? Is there something else that God would rather me do with the money? Don't get me wrong. I don't think that there's anything wrong with owning a bass boat, but you can spend 80 grand on a bass boat and uh, I barely spent that much on my house, right? So like you can also get a a bass boat for 6,000 that floats and you won't die on. So there's better options is all I'm saying. But I personally, and maybe you, I would disregard whatever is in my way of getting that thing in order to get that thing. And then lastly is our pride in obtaining those desires. You ever been around a look at me person or a look at what I've got person? You know, everyone in the Midwest is kind of this person. I don't know if you've lived here for any time at all. At some point, you've been this person because somebody's come up to you and they've been like, Chase, that is a really nice Under Armour hat. And you know what Chase's response is? Didn't pay full price. Got it for 10 bucks. You know what I mean? You guys all do that, don't you? You know you do. Like you talk about people like, oh, that's a great hit. I'm like, went to Ross. It was only $12 in your face, right? Like uh, I didn't pay full price. Like that's part of our pride in the Midwest is not paying full price for something. Feeling like we actually got one over on the company. Like you idiots are charging $80 for this normally. I found it for 12 bucks. Sure, the Under Armour logo is actually in the armpit and not the chest, but hey, I got it for cheaper. So, I mean, it almost looks like it's supposed to be that way. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not sinful to want. It's not sinful to have, and it's not sinful to achieve. But if we do so at the expense of our relationship with God, then we have loved the world, and that is sinful. It's not sinful to want nice things. Not sinful to have nice things. It's not sinful to make goals. It's not sinful to... to Expend your effort to achieve. But you need to make sure that you're doing so in alignment with God's will and purpose for your life. That is important. Because whenever we are so focused on what I can get, what I can have, what makes me happy, what's going to bring me pleasure, and we put Jesus on the back burner in order to obtain it, in order to fill those things, then we are loving the world and we are not loving Jesus. And frankly, it's silly. It's really silly. And Paul, or Paul, we're talking about John. John explains that. Chapter 2, 17. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. There is a Johnine saying, which means a saying from John. A Johnine saying that was really popular in the 19th century. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's our new Crosspoint t-shirt, by the way. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Why chase the world when the world will fade, right? Why waste your time? You only get one life. You only get one opportunity. Do not miss your chance to glow. I hope you caught the Eminem. You did. David caught it. I hope you caught the Eminem films. Yeah, Jack caught it too. I don't know why. I typed that out and then, I, and then the music automatically came in my head. Dun, 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 dun. You only get one shot. But it's true. It's really true. Okay? You only get one chance at this thing. You really do. You only get one life. And as we've seen over the past couple of years, man, that life is fleeting. You don't know when that life is over. And that's unfortunate and that can be scary, but it can also be something that motivates us because we only get one shot to get this thing as right as we can possibly get it. 
And I don't know about you, but I really love to fish and I really love the bass boat and I really love the things, but I know that those things are not going with me, right? We are not Egyptian. We don't get pyramids. They don't bury all our treasures with us. Newsflash, those treasures still stayed. We don't get to keep those things. So we need to do things of worth. We need to do things of actual importance. And I always talk about the eternal importance of something. The eternal importance of something. You know, we're in an argument. Is it, internal, is it eternally important? Is this something that we really need to be fighting about? Life is too short for us to bicker back and forth. Life is too short for us to be at odds. Is this really something that we can't come together and have a conversation and get over? You know what I mean? It's viewing life through that lens of, of, is this really an eternally important thing? And we focus so much on things that are not eternally important, like whether or not my house is clean or whether or not my car is clean or whether or not I have this or that or the other. And I'm not saying that those things can't be important as well, but I'm just telling you that in the big scheme of things, are they really important? Is it more important to love people or Spend time cleaning your house. You know what I mean? Like, you, that can always wait a day. You can love people first. It's about choices. That's really what we're talking about here. Life is really all about choices. And forever, frankly, is just a choice away. First John 2, verses 18 and 19 goes on to say, Dear children, this is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. See, a sign of the end times is that the Antichrist, the leader of the Antichrist, so to speak, will come. But before that time, the world has many things to offer that will lead us astray. And we have to avoid those things. And the thing that we have to avoid more than anything else is the false teacher. The false teacher is the biggest roadblock and the biggest obstacle to us finishing our race. And at the end of the day, hearing God say, well done, good and faithful servant. The false teacher will lead you and I astray quicker than anyone or anything could possibly imagine. They'll look like us. They'll claim to be like us. They'll claim to believe like us, but they aren't us. They aren't us. And it's sometimes hard to tell. They twist scripture. They're false teachers. They have a false doctrine and they will tell you what you want to hear. They'll tell you what makes you feel good. They want to make the gospel palatable, right? Because the gospel says that you and I are sinners, And that we are dead in our sin. And that because we are dead in our sin, we need Christ to overcome that sin. And if we don't have Christ, then we will go to hell. And so what these false teachers will do, they'll slide in and they'll they'll bring Jesus to you in a pretty package. And they'll make him really palatable. And they'll make him seem like he's your best friend in the whole world. And they'll make him seem like he only loves you. And he would never condemn you. And he won't talk bad about your decisions. And he wouldn't tell you to go and sin no more. And you just don't have to worry because God is love. And there's butterflies like all over the place. And they're just floating. And one day you will float too because it's just happy, right? It's just happy. And what really happens is they are leading you to the doorstep of hell. And like in the movie 300, they Spartan kick you through the gates. 
and you're flying, and all of a sudden you're thinking, where am I going? And the false teacher is like, exactly where I was leading you. Exactly where I was leading you. And the Antichrist, Satan, is applauding the whole way. Here's the deal. We can't believe in the good of God. We can't believe in the salvation of Jesus and not believe in the evil of Satan. And not believe that he is equally working in this world to oppose what Jesus is trying to do in this world as well. And like a wolf in sheep's clothing, they will come and they will look like us again. They will dress like us. They'll talk like us. They'll, they'll know all the things we know. But if you pay attention, they're not quite leading you down the same path. So how do we avoid this? How do we avoid them profiting off of making us feel all warm and fuzzy? How do we avoid their teaching that, hey, scripture is uncomfortable, so let's just change it? There's something in the scripture that speaks out against the way that you live your life. There's something in the scripture that you don't particularly like. There's something in the scripture you don't understand. The Old Testament is brutal, so let's just look at the New Testament and not worry about the Old Testament. And again, back to the, hey, Jesus is, is love, and they'll put him in that box. And they'll say things to you like, did Jesus specifically say it? Oh, he didn't? Then we don't have to listen to it. Like the rest of the Bible that's not written in red letters somehow doesn't hold weight or significance. They'll tell you that if you don't like a scripture, then it's not literal. It's not literal. Here's the thing. Like the game of telephone, the farther you get away from the original message, the more corrupted it becomes. You've all played that game before, right? As little kids, you sit in a circle and the first person starts with a message and it's like, I like bananas. And then by the, it gets to the last person, the last person is like, you're going to kill my mother. What? Like it's completely off. It is nothing the same. And that's really what happens with these false teachers is the, the more time goes by, the further they get away from scripture, the more they go to this feel good doctrine. And then all of a sudden the message is completely warped and completely wrong. Here's what I decided a, a couple years ago. When I say a couple years ago, I, I feel like I'm not that old, but I'm getting old. I was 18 and I, I was, uh, be quiet. I was 18 and I was, <laughs> I was sitting in a Bible class and we're going through stuff. And I remember this lesson because one of my professors just started teaching on this specific passage. And I kept sitting there and I'm thinking, that didn't seem right. I don't think that's accurate. I don't, I don't know. And finally, somebody looked it up and was like, that's not what it says at all. And he goes, well, how would you know if you never looked? How would you know if you weren't in your word? And I decided then at that point that the word was going to be my measuring tool, right? It's going to be my measuring tool for truth because me personally, Paul Huff, is inherently sinful. I am always leaning towards sinning. And by the grace of God, I often avoid it. And yet sometimes I still, still fail. I can't say still and steal. I was sidetracked. I still fell. I can't say that word either. Now I'm getting messing up all my vowels and L's. I got to go back to speech. Right? We try. You try. I try. But if I'm left up to my own devices, guys, I'm just telling you I'm sinful. If I'm left up to my own desires, my own thought processes, I'm leading you 
to sinful beliefs. So at 18, I decided that if I'm going to be a pastor, I'm going to use the word as my measuring tool for truth. And I'm going to preach what's there. And it may make me uncomfortable, and I may not like it. I'm gonna, guys, I'm going to tell you, there are parts of Scripture I don't understand. There's parts of Scripture I don't like. There's parts of Scripture that speak out against people that I love. There's parts of Scripture that speak out against me. There's parts of Scripture that just don't jive with how I feel like life should go. Because, guys, I'm going to tell you, I naturally lean towards, like, hey, let's just all get along. Like, if Crosspoint could buy a bunch of land and build a commune and we all kind of lived on it, I'd be okay with that. I am not the drink the Kool-Aid guy. I want to make that very clear. <laughs> I want to make that very clear. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, like, generally, I love fellowship. With, I love people. Regardless of background, regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of anything that the world uses to separate us into different groups, I love people, and I just like being around people and hanging out with people and, and getting to know new people. I love that. I love that. But it's also my job to say what's in the word, right? And as Christians, we have a responsibility to the word, to live according to what it says. So I will defer my desires and my feelings to its truth. After all, Jesus himself, Matthew 5, 17 through 20 said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, anytime we push aside scripture in favor of your truth, in favor of my truth, then we are disregarding these words of Christ. And so often people want to use that phrase, did Christ specifically say it and completely avoid this passage altogether? Why? Because it makes us feel good. Why? Because we are inherently sinful. Why? Because the world is trying to make us more palatable. The world is trying to make us feel better about not living according to the ways that the world says that we should live. And it is hard and it is difficult and it does make us have to draw a line in the sand. And it does have... have it does make us have to, to, to have a firm stance on things where we say we're not going to bend beyond this point even if we want to because the word of the Lord says this. It's got to be our foundation. Anytime, anytime we push aside scripture, I'm telling you, you're far braver than me. Or maybe, just maybe, you're a fool. That's probably actually what it is. First John chapter 2, 22 through 23 to finish out our passage today. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do not know it, because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one denies the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. You have the truth. 
Remember, we talked about what John is battling in this day and age. Okay, it was Gnosticism. Gnosticism was the idea that you reached heaven, you reached enlightenment, you reached God by becoming more knowledgeable. The more you came, became like God, who is all knowledgeable, the more you were likely to have salvation, right? And so they chased after knowledge, but their bodies and, and, and the way that they live life really didn't matter. They, they talked about how it's just kind of all fair game. And so he's, he's fighting these teachers who are telling people, all you need is knowledge. You don't need Jesus. It doesn't matter if Jesus is the son of God, because what we're really chasing after is knowledge. What we're really chasing after is information. And when you have that, then you will be like God. And John's making it very clear that that's not the case. That anybody who denies that Jesus is the Christ, they are an antichrist. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And anything that teaches anything else other than that is an antichrist. It is a false doctrine. To deny Christ while using Christ as the justification for your denial makes you an antichrist. And that, in today's world, is the thing that I see happening most often. People who use Jesus as their justification to not believe like Jesus would have taught them to believe. People who use Jesus to say, I don't need to attend to this part of scripture or it doesn't need to affect the way that I live my life. And we have to fight against that because you cannot claim the son and turn your back on the father. And you cannot claim the father and turn your back on the son. Messages to both Jews of the age and Gentiles. It's not just about Jesus. It's not just about Yahweh. If you want one, you have to have the other. And to have the truth and the light of Christ, you have to live according to the truth and the light of Christ. And that revelation comes to us through scripture. And we cannot cast it to the wayside. If you want to improve your relationship with Jesus, increase your time in the word. I promise you that there is a direct correlation. I promise you that it will get better. I promise you that you will feel stronger. I promise you that your foundation will be sturdier. If you want to improve your relationship with God the Father and Christ the Son, increase your time in the word of God. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now as the band comes forward. Lord, we just want to lift each and every person up that's here today. Father, I pray that you would help us all to see the truth in this message. I pray that you would help us to understand that your word is love. Even when sometimes it speaks out against people that we love, even when sometimes it speaks out against us, Lord, Scripture says that we have to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. That we have to renew ourselves through the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. That we need to admit our sins and believe that Jesus is Lord. And that if we do that, if we do that, then salvation is ours. God, it can be hard to live in this world today. 
and live counterculturally to what the world says we should be doing. We're only one Facebook post, one tweet away from being canceled, from being called a bigot or a racist. We're told that we just hate people. But God, your word and your truth is about loving one another. It's about loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And love doesn't mean to just live and let live. Love means to shine a spotlight on the darkness in each other's lives in a way that doesn't say I'm judging you, but in a way that says I love you and I just want you to be better. We're accountable to one another. God, there's so many things in this world that we chase, people, objects, and those things are going to lead us straight to hell. We will get our reward while we're here on earth and we will experience pleasure and things will seem like they're wonderful, but eternally, we are damned. Eternally, we are headed for hell. God, I would pray that you would convict us of the things in our lives that we need to let go of, that we need to change, that we need to fix. Give us a hunger and a thirst to make you the number one priority in our lives. To look at everything else that we could be chasing and say that it pales in comparison to the Christ. God, we ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. First thing I want to tell you this morning is this. I love you. Uh, sometimes I get in sermons like that, I get a little intense and uh, I get the resting what I like to call resting angry face. Um, I forgot to smile at you a couple times this morning, and I'm sorry for that. But understand, guys, that it comes from a place of love. We're not always going to agree on everything. You probably will not always agree on everything that I have to say. But understand that, amen, girl. Understand that I say it. I say it because, one, I truly feel that God wants me to say it. Two, I truly am doing it because I love you. And three, I'm doing it because it's truth that I find in Scripture. And that is in Scripture. And I'm always open to have a discussion if you want to have a discussion. There's plenty of people around here who will tell you that that is the case. Okay? But at the end of the day, the truth is really what sets us free. And the truth is in the Word of God. And I think that it's important for each one of us to disregard our own feelings because feelings sometimes, as you know, will lead you astray in favor of the truth of God. Stand up right now. Let's worship. If you need to pray, you want to come pray with me, you want to come tell me I'm dumb, uh, come see me, do, do any of that. But uh, 
today, I just challenge you to, to spend some time right now as we worship with the Lord. Allie's over here to the left. If you'd like to pray with somebody off to the side or you'd prefer to pray with a woman over a man, if you'd like to use our stage as an altar, it is yours. If you want to talk to me about what it means to be in a relationship with Christ and how to achieve salvation and, and some of the things maybe I said this morning, please do so. Now is the time. Otherwise, let's just stand and let's worship. Let's stand and worship God.